Hey everyone, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of Tandy Town. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about Pie Cycle Bottom or Impending Doom. This is going to be the free episode for the month of July, but before I get into the episode, I just want to briefly touch on what Tandy Town is. So Tandy Town is a podcast that I started a year and a half ago. I was getting questions from people uh, through DMs and replies to Twitter, and I just didn't feel I could answer them. Uh, in a short enough form to where I either wasn't getting annoying with the amount of tweets that I had or I wasn't giving enough detail. So I decided at first I was going to start writing articles and that would be a good way to explain it. And then people eventually began asking me to do a podcast. That way they can consume the information uh, in a more uh, digestible form. Um, So Tendy Town, the podcast version, was born out of that. Um, and the way it works is it's $19.99 a month, but I don't pocket any of the money. What I do is I donate it to reputable charities at the end of every single month, and then I post the donation statements on my Twitter to prove that I am actually doing that. Um, so the first six months, we donated to American Cancer Society. The next six months was Alzheimer's Association. And then the past six months has been Feeding America, and I am actively looking for possibly a fourth charity. I do love Feeding America, but I do think it would be a good idea to sort of spread the money around a little bit more elsewhere to a different cause. So if you have any recommendations, please leave them in the YouTube comments. The only requirements are going to be that they are a very transparent charity. I don't want to be flooding your uncle, who is the CEO of a small charity who's probably just using the money to pat his own salary, right? That's not the type of charity that I'm looking for. Feeding America really struck me as something important because they are transparent and they prove that 98% of the revenue that they're generated through donations are actually going towards the cause, which is feeding hungry kids. Um, And then as far as the future of Tendy Town, um, I am planning to make Tendy Town public. I don't know exactly when that's going to be. I'm in talks with some potential sponsors for the podcast, but what I can tell you is that even if I can't find a sponsor for Tendy Town by the end of the year, in 2023, I will make Tendy Town public. It will be a free podcast available on Spotify and Apple, and I'm just going to try my best to grow it from there because although it does feel good to make an impact on society in the way that you know I can donate some of these proceeds and I'm creating enough value amongst the people that are signed up for Tendy Town to where they're willing to pay $19.99 a month to get access to some of my ideas, um, I don't think that that is a path that I want to continue to go down. Truthfully, it just I even though I know the money's going to, towards a good cause, I just feel a little guilty charging for people for information and it's not something that I want to continue in the future and it's something that I just want to make more accessible because at the end of the day, the goal isn't necessarily about raising money for charity, it's about trying to sort of um, share my ideas with the people that follow me and the people that, you know, value my ideas. So that's my promise to you. I will make Tiny Town public if I cannot secure a podcast sponsor by the end of the year. Um, so if you are interested in signing up for Tiny Town, I recommend that you are going to do a monthly subscription. So that's $19.99 a month. Um, and I uh, promise that, you know, when the time comes, I will pause all of the billing for everybody, um, you know, when Tendy Town does go public. Um, so you don't have to worry about getting, you know, charged for something that you're technically not paying for anymore. So that's one of my goals for the end of the year. I want to find a potential podcast sponsor. And if not, fuck it, I'm still going to take Tendy Town pot, uh, excuse me, public anyways, and we'll go from there. Um, So yeah, some exciting things in the future. Um, But getting right into this actual episode, I wanted to give an update on my general thoughts about the crypto market. And I think that's best explained through giving you 
my like general understanding of what crypto is. So I think it's important, first of all, to say that I can't and I don't think crypto will ever really be viewed as an inflation hedge. When you look back to the foundation of Bitcoin, when Satoshi established Bitcoin, the intention wasn't for it to be a store of value or an inflation hedge or anything other than a financial mechanism in which people could transact as a repercussion of the 2008 great financial crisis and the lockup of people's certificate of deposits to where they couldn't unlock the capital that they were actually looking for and the Fed had to step in and basically print money in order to ensure people's deposits. So in my opinion, the way I view crypto was the intention was to create this sort of usable transaction network that couldn't be infiltrated or controlled by the bureaucracy, which, you know, includes central banking and their policy. And I would argue that that was Bitcoin's mission, and it's been wildly successful uh, in completing that mission. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that Bitcoin is a great investment. You know, it's easy to say in hindsight, but everybody who was like prophesizing about vast riches and super cycle and astronomical prices is now either deeply in debt or completely insolvent. And if you go back to the way that Three Arrows Capital was talking about crypto versus someone like Sam, it becomes very, very clear that one entity uh, was unsure of a bear market ever happening again, had completely ruled it out, and they weren't joking because their risk mitigation was completely unprepared for what seems like a routine crypto bear market in hindsight. Whereas... On the other hand, if you take a look at Sam, in every interview, he, you know, whenever he's asked these questions about, you know, the future of crypto or Solana or whatever this coin is that he's being asked about, um, you find that um, he always says that he can't say what makes something investable uh, and he, you know, can't speak for others. And I think he just kind of hints that he's not sure what everything is going to look like. And he doesn't know whether something is going to be a huge success or completely fail. The only thing that he knows, and I think that he's obviously experienced in his own life, is that he thinks crypto at least plays a role in the future. And so that may seem minor, but I think that's a really important distinction to have. Because I don't think anybody can deny that crypto plays a role in the function of money. But that doesn't mean that you should be listening to people like Michael Saylor, and taking a line of credit from your house in order to buy Bitcoin at the Pico top, right? The last thing you should be doing is taking financial advice from a guy who defrauded his investors and cooked the books of his own company back in the dot-com era. You should never consult that guy for what you should do with your money when he has shown himself that he can't always be trust trusted with the money that he is managing himself. So I think... This is a really good time um, for most people that are listening to this podcast to not be doing a whole lot of trading, but spending a whole lot of time reflecting. And that's something that I've been doing um, and, and something that I've been doing that I think is going to be helpful for some of you is I think you need to evaluate your strengths. I think you need to evaluate um, what you're looking to get out of your investments, right? Like 
what are some of your financial goals, personal goals? Why are you even in the market? What is there? What is the thing that you're looking to gain in the market? And what is it about trading crypto or investing crypto, you know, specifically, that that makes you believe that you are going to have more success here than in other markets? Okay. So I think you need to come up with a solid proposition of what crypto means to you. And that doesn't mean that crypto means any of that at all. But if you can at least establish a thesis or at least a role of what crypto plays in your life, and you can jot that down, and you can put that on a post-it note, and you can put that on your monitor. And if you put it on your monitor, it'll serve as a reminder on the screen every time that you are making financial decisions okay a scalper or a futures trader may tell you that bitcoin doesn't have any inherent value to them it's just a better vehicle for volatility than stocks or currencies and that's a totally legit argument a shitcoin trader may tell you that searching through for 10 to 100x altcoin bags allows them more eps upside than penny stocks without the risk of slinging you know uh, slot machines that's also a valid point. An investor may tell you they don't want to put their money in the hands of a financial system that they feel has betrayed them or that is working against them. And that is also a valid point. It all depends what you're looking to get out of the market and the type of style and skill set that you feel is most applicable to you. And I'll make sure to get into that later in the episode. But I think it would make a lot of sense for me to sort of explain to you how I view crypto. And this doesn't mean that I'm right, and it doesn't mean you need to adopt my worldview, but it does explain where at least I'm coming from when I am making investments or trades in crypto. So the way I view crypto is that, first of all, Bitcoin and Ethereum are the only two investable assets. And what I mean by investable is that you can have a, somewhat of a high degree of confidence that it is going to see an all-time high at some point in the future, okay? And the reason I say that is because Bitcoin is so old and the holders of Bitcoin are so retarded that they'll never sell no matter what the price is out of the fear of missing out on future appreciation and compounding. And that effect continues to multiply on itself because not only do you have more people that take the Bitcoin pill and more people that become retarded and decide that they're never going to sell, you have the supply getting cut in half every four years. So not only do you have new people getting introduced to the concept, you have more people that are well, less willing to sell. And on top of that, you get the amount that is even feasible in the market for miners to sell getting cut in half every four years. Um, where ETH, I think, is an investable asset because it's the only crypto that I think has proven its utility. And I think, in the way I view it, is that it's the preferred denomination for people that are looking to further decentralize their money. So I think it's important because it's like, if you don't want your money on a crypto exchange, well, you need to have a wallet. And the way for you to best transact, not using centralized exchanges or places where you need to KYC, is going to be on a platform that allows you to continue to transact using that native currency without having to integrate into um, you know, somewhere where you're going to reveal your identity or that represents the idea of um, you know, being centralized. 
And so I think ETH is investable because it's been the platform that it, and has provided the most utility that has allowed people to do that without having to give up their identity or how much they're worth or and whatnot. So my conclusion, when you look at the overall scheme of things, is that 99% of crypto is a liquidity orgy that has no underlying value or utility whatsoever. But the coins that can capture what I think is the most important to people are the ones that will likely have the most success. And what I think is the most important to when people decide that they want to enter the crypto market is two things. Faster price appreciation than traditional assets, and two, investment choices that are outside of the traditional finance and government-regulated systems. I think what people are looking for is, number one, they want to ensure that they are going to be able to invest their money into something that they don't feel can betray them in the way that the actual traditional financial system may have done. And second of all, uh, in order to take on the risk of uh, cryptocurrency and regulation and volatility, they want to invest in something where the price appreciation is greater than that of something like an S&P 500 index fund. So at its simplest form, I think crypto is a bet on the continued distrust of bureaucracy and really the, the desire for people to reclaim some form of sovereignty because we live in a world now where it always seems to be getting etched away at. And because money is the way that us humans buy our survival, it only makes sense for that fear and that autism of our sovereignty continuously being taken away that we are going to project our fear and our uncertainty into meaning. And the way where we project that is basically in this internet stardust market that we call the crypto market. So now that I've sort of explained the way that I view crypto, I kind of want to move on to um, what I think has been going on in, in 2022. And something that I think has become clear to me is that crypto is a lot more sensitive to traditional economic markets than they used to be. I remember about a year ago, I was writing some some threads about how the correlation between the triple Q NASDAQ and Ethereum was almost like stride for stride. And, you know, at the time, I wasn't really sure. I figured it was algorithms, but I didn't really know who it was or who was building it or who had developed it. Um, but the, the one thing that's become increasingly, you know, certain and I think has um, provided a lot more insight into, you know, the BTC 500 meme is that I think what's going on is that you're seeing Bitcoin, mo mostly Bitcoin, um, go through this transition from being a very uncorrelated, almost non-investable tulip asset to now actively being viewed by most market participants as a risk asset. And so basically what I think that means is that not only is Bitcoin viewed as a risk asset, it's viewed as the highest risk asset, meaning that not only is Bitcoin basically more susceptible to downside volatility and most likely bear the beta of traditional markets, and the beta is basically the volatility um, of compared to something like an S&P 500 index fund, but its upside, in my opinion, is going to be increasingly limited 
as it matures because the idea of being risk on and being risk on to the long side is such a narrow window in most market conditions. Um, you know, most people, they look at the stock market and they see they've gone, it's gone up since 2009. I would argue that although the market has been in a bull market since 2009, the only actual risk on periods were 2013, 2017, and 2021. Those were the only years in the market where we weren't faced with some like world ending, you know, potential market correction, right? There was, there was no, um, you know, quantitative tightening. There was no uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict. There was no coronavirus. There was no China trade war. There was no, uh, you know, Afghanistan failure and whatnot. Um, you know, the rest of the time, the market was met with multiple corrections and uncertainty. And, you know, as for crypto, I would say that the only time that crypto can really, really be seen as risk on is like that six to 12 month window in price discovery, right? So although you can get risk on, you know, like a lot of people were getting risk on around 10K, calling for a new bull market. And then, you know, they, they got fucking nuked like three times and on the fourth time it worked. But I think the only time that the market clearly ever signals, hey, it's time to take some risk to the long side is when markets are at all-time highs and they're continuously breaking records as they go to all-time highs. And that's why I view 2013, 2017, 2021 as really the only risk on periods because there wasn't a lot of downside volatility, but there was a good amount of upside and it was very consistent. And so, you know, even even during that 6 to 12 month window, whatever you want to call it in the past cycle, uh, volatility was so fucking high that people still found a way to lose their money despite prices going parabolic, um, you know, because their risk appetite was insane and they were leveraging up way too much and then the market would pull back 10 or 20% and it would totally liquidate them. Um, and so, in my opinion, I think the thing that people misunderstand about crypto is the idea of volatility and risk. You know, people pour into crypto with this intention of making fast and easy money. That's the one thing that you consistently hear amongst new participants. But in reality, there is no such thing as easy money if you are raising your risk to meet your appetite for returns, right? Um, so people flooding the space thinking that the money is made easier than in stocks, um, I think that's a very skewed perception of what easy means. And I think people come into crypto with this like flipping mentality, right? Like when you think of like Gary Vee and garage sales, like, oh, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to sell it for a 2x and I'm going to keep doubling my money until I feel I have enough. However, you know, Bitcoin is not something that you can compare to flipping. It's not a garage sale item. You can buy, you know, $2,000 worth of Adidas from, you know, a Ross outlet and flip it on Amazon in an attempt to double your money. But the price of Adidas sneakers are never going to reach a point to where they could liquidate you or where all your $2,000 are lost. And, you know, that's not the same for Bitcoin or crypto in general, especially if you're someone who introduces uh, leverage to swing trading and God forbid it's an alts, you know, rest your soul. Um, but the idea of easy money and the idea of fast money needs to be something that's really segregated in the like crypto community because you can make fast money in crypto. And that fast money can be classified as easy if you never find yourself underwater. Like, for example, say you had gotten in on SHIB uh, pretty, pretty early 
and that seemingly continues to gain social traction and appreciates so much that even after it tops, you still have months to sell out while it's in a horrific downtrend for a substantial gain. However, in no universe does easy money correlate to the idea of no risk, and in no universe does no risk correlate to fast money. In order to make fast money, you have to take astronomical risk. And in order to make easy money, you kind of have to take less risk. And I don't think that concept is very well understood in crypto because crypto is a double-edged sword that is going to leave most people stabbed in the back. And it's not because they didn't make a successful investment. It's because they don't know how to balance the juggling of act that is involved in risk versus your appetite for returns. And in a way, crypto is like witchcraft. It's, uh, you know, people will take all the remedies and all the potions that are magically supposed to change their lives forever. Uh, you know, altcoins are a good example of this. You know, they get it right once and you might be set for life. But they get so emotionally attached that even if they are right, they get so emotionally attached to the meaning and not the results of the market that they can't ever bear the idea of selling. And they have to integrate their purpose, their aspirations, their future, their meaning to life, and project it into internet dust. And they will ride their bags to the depths of hell never to return to avoid the pain of having to establish a new identity by selling, right? And you can find this in the, in the chain link and the Litecoin maximalists and, um, you know, they had their time. And these people are just not willing to accept that that time has passed. And... You know, it's it's a I think a perfect leeway into like my third talking point of this episode, which is people like to meme about crypto being full of mental illness, but the reality is the success and the unwinding of crypto is and forever will be based on cognitive dissonance. If you don't know what cognitive dissonance is, it's basically the idea that people can warp the meaning of something into meaning what they want it to mean rather than viewing things as reality. So, you know, I think it's a good example of this is people always find it ironic that Bitcoin topped at 69,000. And, you know, for me being someone that sold basically at the top, you know, it made perfect time. It made perfect sense at the time to sell. And in my opinion, it still does. Um, Not only in a mental illness meme world, but in sort of a fundamental understanding of the market. Because... When you have the opportunity to sell crypto, being that crypto has topped in the fourth quarter of the second year after halving in every single scenario known to man throughout the crypto cycle, not only do you have the ability to sell it in Q4, you have the ability to sell it at $69,000, the perfect fucking meme to lock in your profits. I mean, I can't think of a more fun price to sell at aside from maybe 420 k Um and, and, you know, that kind of leads me into this idea and, and a story that I want to tell a little bit. Um, you know, something that has always stuck with me was something my friend Red XBT once said. Um, back in 2020, Red was doing some live streams on Twitch, and I didn't really know what to do because I come into my new money, and I felt completely lost in what I was doing. I wasn't sure if I should be holding my Bitcoin. I wasn't sure if I could should start trading Ethereum or trade it for other altcoins. I didn't know if I should take the money and put it back in the stock market. I didn't know if I should just be holding on to cash. Um, you know, because at the time I wasn't much of a trader. 
The way I saw it is I made two really good sort of unconscious gambles that ended up working out for me. Um, you know, that didn't involve too much thinking. And, you know, but trading was something that was very complicated to me and something that I didn't quite understand because I had really only made two decisions that year. And quite frankly, I wasn't sure if trading was something that was going to be for me. And so I was watching his live stream. This is probably September, October of 2020, right when things are really heating up. And so he's on the live stream and he basically says that trading is a game of selling dreams to people. And it's always been something that stuck with me because although I don't think it applies as much in something like equity markets that are very fundamental driven, in crypto, the reason for buying a coin is always based on a few things. It's based on hype, on memes, on belief in the roadmap, on future expected utility, and most importantly, it's based on the cognitive dissonance and mental disorders that are needed to make some of the decisions that I've seen people confessing on coin fashions. Uh, in the past six months and they all start with the buyer dreaming up a scenario where clicking the buy button allows them to create a better life whether it takes them 10,000 clicks or two clicks like me to get there and that's always remained in my philosophy towards crypto don't drink the kool-aid and be cautious when people are getting dreamy and idealistic about what crypto means to them something I often talked about and I, I wrote a thread if you want to find it um, I think I wrote it on November 14th, 2021. I was wrote this thread about you know what, what I felt people were ignoring when they were longing at all-time highs. And one of the things that I still remember to this day was there was this kid in, in one of my uh, finance classes, and he was like planning on, on throwing a yacht party. And so he's showing everybody his crypto portfolio. And I think he had a thousand doge and like 0.02 Bitcoin. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, and I go, this guy thinks he's going to get a fucking yacht at graduation to throw a party with like $1,500, most of it being in Bitcoin. And that's kind of the point where I realized that the froth was getting out of hand. And, you know, when people start getting dreamy and idealistic about what crypto means to them and how it has so much impact on the future... And, and this is going to change everything that's the time when crypto usually unwinds and it's to the point where those people not only feel their dreams get crushed or their sanity's been lost it's usually a good time for more rational people to sort of start accumulating to prepare for the new cycle of dreamers that's coming you know at the next halving the, the next set of broke teenagers that need to flip their money into something else um so there's two things to keep in mind during this entire process. One, you have to evaluate whether you're a trader or you're an investor. I've talked about this on multiple podcasts multiple times because I think it severely influences the decisions that you're making, the frequency of those decisions, the reasons for those decisions, but also what your appetite is for risk in a market that is very, very volatile. And if you can't define that, you can't ever expect to find what you're looking for in these markets because they will always find a way to exploit the cracks in your foundation if you don't have a solid reasoning for entering a trade or making an investment. Um, the second thing is you have to evaluate your risk appetite. What kind of percentage returns are you looking for and what kind of volatility does that take and can, most importantly, can your stomach fucking weather that? Because if you have a weak stomach, it means a few things. One, 
you might be best scalping with tight, tight stops at high frequencies and being an assassin with your risk. It'll allow you to keep your risk lower than most participants. The downside is that you have to make hundreds of decisions a week and you're only making money when you're actively doing something. And you know you have to have the ego to be able to cut those losses immediately. The upside is your portfolio is probably gonna look more consistent if you can pull it off and you're gonna be able to do it uh, in almost any market condition. Bull and bear markets really won't matter, matter as much to you. Uh, having a weak stomach might also mean though that you only want to invest in Bitcoin or you don't want to invest in crypto at all, right? Because if you have a weak stomach, you might be someone that, you know, can't handle as much volatility or can't handle as much uncertainty, whatever, whichever emotion that is that might be driving a weak emotion. Um, so you have to decide, like, maybe you want to stick to safer things. I don't have a great stomach. I've come to realize that. I, I have a good stomach, a really, really strong stomach when it comes to stocks. And I think everybody knows that from like my Shopify trade and, um, and, and you know, a lot of other investments that I've made. Um, I've, I've been a big believer in Costco for a long time, and I don't think I'll ever sell my Costco stock at this point. Um, but I have a great stomach for stocks because I don't think stocks, you ever have to worry about the price that something's trading at because as long as the company's strong and it's growing, then the value at which it should be trading at will continue to go up. It might, it may not do that every year, um, but generally over time, as long as the company is showing a path of continuously growing their earnings, then the stock's going to follow that. So it's very easy for me to grip the idea that, you know, maybe I paid too high of a price for Shopify, but the Shopify business model is so strong and so dominant in in their niche that eventually those earnings are going to return and thus the stock price. Um, whereas in crypto, uh, I'm very sensitive. I typically will only trade Bitcoin and Ethereum and Solana. Um, and Solana, because I think it's been having, you know, Solana, I don't haven't like invested too much in. I think I've bought like maybe $10,000 worth of Solana so far um, as a, as a long-term bag. But it's because I can't really say for sure whether I have tremendous confidence in Solana long-term where I would say that there's a pretty good bet that Bitcoin and Ethereum are going to be just fine in the next cycle, whereas Solana might be one of those that isn't. Now, I don't think that's the case at all. I'm getting increasingly bullish on Solana, um, but it's just not something that I think I've been able to classify as an investable asset so far, and it's more been something that I can trade for upside, um, you know, just in the general market conditions. However, if you have a strong stomach, that might make you the perfect investor for someone like a retarded BTC whale who will never who will never sell because they never worry about you know what the future of finance or economics or interest rates or whatever it is because it'll all resolve itself eventually and the only thing that they know is that Bitcoin keeps going up and they can wait you know long enough and weather the volatility long enough to where you know they can eventually you know uh, make all their money back and more um, but it also means if you have a higher risk appetite you might be able to psychologically take and manage much more risk than other people. Um, you know, as a trader, you might be someone that's like the perfect leverage trader. Um, I know it's not, uh, he's not perfect at it, but like Hentai Avenger is like a fucking great example of this. You know, this is a man who 
has proven himself to not only be a great trader, but a great risk manager. And despite all the volatility, he's, find a way, he's found a way to make astronomical returns over the past two years, even with leverage. You know, And I've always been someone that's talked against leverage, but that uh, just because I can't stomach it, and I don't think that most people can, but he's a unique specimen to the point where he can take on and bear the weight of that type of volatility and that type of risk. Um, and that obviously... Um, will allow him to make those uh, exacerbated returns and basically outperform everybody on Twitter. The downside being is that it kind of exposes you to the idea of taking bigger hits on your account. Um, and eventually you don't want to end up like one of those people, you know, I lost everything and I, I took on fucking credit card loans and then my wife left me. You know, you don't want to be on one of those stories. Um, so with that being said, I kind of want to wrap up this episode um, circling back to my Bitcoin philosophy and talk a bit about what I think we're looking for in the future. So I personally don't think that the bottom is in for crypto. Um, in my experience, the only reason that Bitcoin or in crypto in general ever pumps is because there's an halving induced supply shock. Um, so as I've said before, uh, a little earlier in the episode, crypto basically tops in Q4 of the second year every year. It typically bottoms about a year after it tops. And then the halving is usually about, you know, a year after it bottoms, maybe six months after it bottoms, usually in the following year after it bottoms. Uh, excuse me, not six months, a year to 18 months. Um, so for me, I don't think that the bottom's in for crypto just because we only topped six months ago. Yes, we have drawn down a good amount, um, but I don't think things are quite over yet. Um, and, and that's because, you know, first of all, we're not really close to halving yet. Um, and, and because, you know, it's like, I think Bitcoin is more sensitive to the macroeconomic conditions. So I think that, um, you know, there could be some exceptions to the rule in the same way that I think crypto topped probably in November instead of something like December this year because of changes in um, the way Fed the Fed was talking about risk assets. Um, so it's like, you know, I think I think crypto goes up because you have that BTC supply shock. Then you have the BTC profits. They rotate in altcoins for the upside beta and then it tops in Q4 the second year because people want to, you know, have enough money to pay their taxes and buy gifts for their kids. And it's just a never ending clusterfuck of people that are like, OK, I'm going to take profits and, and I'll, I'm never fucking selling this shit. Um, but with that being said, we're a week away from the Pi cycle bottom. So Pi cycle top and bottom has been very, very consistent over the course of the past, you know, decade or so. Um, and, you know, I don't think, you know, you know, it's 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 a, it's a meme, but it's a good ass meme. And but personally, I don't think crypto will bottom until like the holiday season this year. As I mentioned, I think some of the reason for selling was influenced by higher interest rates, general risk off economics environment. Um, and I think Bitcoin, for at least for a certain period of time, can be extended to sort of match that risk off sentiment that's currently in traditional finance markets. Um, so I think generally speaking, it would be a decent idea if you are an investor to start accumulating some spot uh, later in the year. Um, obviously, that's that's going to be your choice. I'm probably not going to perfectly time the bottom. I don't think that you're paying a bad price at these levels, but I also don't quite think that the bottom's in um, just because historically that's not been the case um, given how far away we are from halving. Um, but to wrap this episode up, I, I just kind of want to say um, eventually... You know, we, we've been in this sort of brutal bear market and 
especially altcoins have been taking massive hits and there's been absolutely no relief to the upside except for that little rally from like 35k to 45k but eventually you know we talked about dreamers every dreamer at some point has given up and sold and all that remains are those retarded hodlers and those who survived long enough to sell to the new dreamers and i'm not going to give price predictions because as i said I think price predictions are rather irrelevant. I think what matters most in crypto is seasonality and not price. Um, and, and and I think, you know, it's it's completely useless unless it's a meme number like, you know, 69K. Or I think we had a local top at, you know, 42K and, you know, 420 or whatever. Um, but I think if you take the time, you know, in this next six months... To evaluate your goals, your time frames, your risk appetite, and your skills, it will allow you to do decently well uh, in the next couple years. I think that um, the worst of it is over. I think that um, it's not completely done yet given the macro environment, but eventually that's going to pass as well. I think that you're probably going to start to see some sort of policy change. Uh, and as far as the macro environment in, in early 2023, um, I think we're probably in recession now. I think that usually um, markets bottom before it's become very clear that we're coming out of a recession. Um, I think, you know, if we go into recession, it's going to uh, significantly impact inflation um, just because demand is going to drop significantly. Um and I think that's going to give the, the Fed the green light to um, start cutting rates again to boost economic growth. And so I don't think that's quite going to happen until early to mid-2023, but that is a very good setup, um, not only for uh, potential bull market uh, in equity markets coming you know, in 2023, 20, late 2023, early 2024, that also aligns really well with the Bitcoin halving. And I think we're going to have... Um, you know, some pretty good conditions uh, by the time the next cycle comes around. Um, and so, like I said, I don't think the worst of it is over, but I think most of it is. Um, but I don't think it's completely done given the macro environment. However, in the same way that people were programmed last year that markets will never go down ever again, they're getting programmed this year that they will never go up again. And, you know, those those NPCs and their retardation is going to be your advantage in the coming years, but that's all going to be dependent, like I said, on your strategy, if you're a trader or investor, your risk appetite, your stomach for volatility, um, and what percentage you're looking for uh, to gain out of the market. So I hope this episode was insightful. If it was, please share it with somebody who you feel needs to hear it or tweet it out or something like that. Um, very appreciative. Uh, and as always, if you want to check out Tendy Town, you can find so by clicking the link in the pinned comment. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you guys soon.